Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. I am your host, Mary Catherine Ham. I'm here, as always, with my friend and editor at the Free Beacon, Vic Mattis. How are you doing, Vic? Hello, Mary Catherine. I'm uh, doing uh, fine. Uh, sounding a little hot here. Sorry about that. <laughs> Good morning. Hello. Yes. As you know, I was in New York recently, and um, uh, I went to see my Aunt Dolly, who was in hospice. And I made it up to see her on Thursday. Oh, no, on Friday uh, night. And then the next morning, uh, she passed. Aww. So she hung on long enough. I mean, she wasn't obviously really aware at that time in hospice at that stage. But I feel like this is the kind of story you can share with our, you know, 65 episodes in to yes. our show. It's kind of a family, the Hammerheads. Mm-hmm. You can be a part of this family so I can share these kind of details. So I went up to New York and then I saw her and then she passed and the, I'm heading up there to New Jersey on Thursday for a, a memorial service. Well, uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you got to see her. Yeah. It's, it is, in my mind, having been through these things yes. a couple of times, I prefer if I, ha- if I can only make one trip and you're going to get to make both. If yeah. I can only make one trip, I want to make the trip to see somebody as yes. opposed to the yes. funeral trip, although yeah. that is also an important one. Right, 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 exactly. So I, I, I'm, I'm glad I made it. She was a... She was a wonderful aunt, my, my mother's older sister, very tough. So when she was a kid, she was born in the 1930s. She would kill me to even reveal that, by the way. <laughs> she, you know, her father, my grandfather, was uh, Chinese and very old school, did not want her going to school. Uh-huh. You know, only, the, only the, the boys go to school. Uh, so she really pushed hard at it, and she had made... She claimed that she, like in the middle of the night, she was pretending she was having some sort of dream, but she was faking it where she's yelling, I want to go to school or whatever, and then broke my grandfather down. He said, fine. I uh, love that. What so, a trick. What a trick. And she went to school and college. She was valedictorian and then was uh, studied nursing, came to New York in 1963, and then got her master's at NYU, master's wow. in nursing. And she worked for 24 years at Mount Sinai hospital where she was in oncology and then developed a lot of the pioneering methods for nurses in oncology in the 90s with bone marrow transplants. And from what another visitor to the hospital told me, they still, a lot of the practices that she has are still maintained to this day. That's amazing. But when she grew up, uh, you know, she survived the war, right? Mm -hmm. So she was like, I don't know, eight, nine, ten during during Japanese occupation. They were they were so hungry. She worked at a restaurant that was like owned by a, a distant relative as she was waiting tables. And she said a customer like dropped food on the floor, so she had to pick it up to throw it away. And then she went in the kitchen. She ate it. Oh man! And I think that's where I get my eating you of know, not wasting know, any food. It's just it's, ingrained. It's it's ingrained. It's, it's ingrained. It's ingrained. And Kate always maintains that we owe a lot to Aunt Dolly because if not for her, we might not have met because she came to New York in '63. My mother came in 66 and then married my dad in 68. In Mm -hmm. fact, my father asked my aunt permission to marry Ah. his sister. And, you know, because my grandmother was only in the Philippines. And she said, don't break her heart is what she said. And so that's great. And then and she was great because we would visit her in New York as kids in the early 80s New York, like during the early, like the the Ed Koch years. Yes, it was a vibe. And so I'm about 10. My sister's about 13. And I remember the first time we were going to be there for two weeks. And she said, okay. She, she gave us boundaries because she lived at the time she lived on the Upper East Side. Then she moved to the West Side. And then you get the feeling that they never go back to right. the other side in New right. York. But when she was there, she said, you can go from 96 to 86 on like Lex or Third. Just up. That's it. I love Ten that. Ten blocks up and down. And she said, the most important thing is to have your New York face on. 
Got to put. You know what the New York face is? Can you imagine what that is? There's no video, so I can't show you what the New York face <laughs> is. But it's don't look anybody in the eye. I love it. Because and this, I, I, this is a self-preservation face. It is because you know there's a lot of crazy people. You know, people are waiting for you to look at them. <laughs> And they'll just glom on. I always, we used to tease John McCormick, our friend John McCormick at National Review from Wisconsin, about going to New York for the first time and imagining him staring up at the buildings yes. and being a total mark, you know, being a total mark. So you don't be a mark. Look at the ground. And personally, I always looked at the ground because you were always scared of what you're going to step on. So don't look at oh it. And the funny thing is. Beautiful New York City. We're beautiful New York. And so now uh, I was back there last week. And I'm on this, you know, 35th and 8th Avenue, that area near Penn Station. And I put on the New York face, and I started to laugh because I was thinking about my answer. And it was true, though. People are waiting for you to look at them. And you know what? Just like in the early 80s, there's a lot of crazy Just keep it chill. Just keep it chill. That's it. Keep it moving. The other advice she gave was, if you don't want to give up your seat on the bus, pretend you're sleeping. (laughs) Terrible. Don't do that. That's terrible. Give up your seat. But- I remember this to this day, and I might have done it a couple times. I like her style. Yeah, I yes, like her style no, yeah. Lot. She was great. She was she was great. So thank you for listening to this very special episode. Yes. Of getting hammered. Well, we are sorry for your loss, but well, I'm glad you. that you get to be with your family thank uh, you very and that you much, got to Mary see Catherine. her and that we get to hear about. Yes. Aunt Dolly. Yes. And also for that uh, that ten block radius parenting, I like I like that move. You know, Elaine's was there, which is the club that Billy Joel sings about in Big right. Shot, and that's where Woody Allen used to hang out and stuff. You, uh, you, was... you can't do a two block radius parenting. Oh no, now. no, that's now not a, that's in not a thing. Manhattan in nineteen eighty three, a ten block radius. <laughs> That's insane. By the way, and I'm not saying this because it's problematic and it's also mm. uh, it's an Asian product. <laughs> but coffee out. it is relevant for another reason. Yes. There's a Netflix show called Old Enough. Oh. Have you seen this? I have not. It's these Colin's little nodding, it's yes. these little vignettes, 10, 12 minutes long, of it's made in Japan, of Japanese families sending two to four year olds on elaborate errands. In Japan. In Japan. Oh. And so they walk through little villages and they buy things they go to maybe two or three shops and they are sometimes two and a half years old i mean they are young and they have like little camera it's a reality show it's a reality they have camera guys who follow them around so they're not going to get in like deep trouble no but it is truly amazing what they're capable of and it makes me think gosh what have i been doing with my eight-year-old it's great that they have cameras too. So in case something does, be, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, you have some insurance. Yes, but nonetheless. But they're watching very, them. They're very determined. Oh, I'm sure it's. And they're and they're heartening. like they're like oh yes uh, I can definitely go buy a loaf of bread and then go get tempura at the at the open air market three blocks away from my house and walk back, mom. The thing is, the odds are, and I'm just going to say the odds because obviously terrible things happen. But the odds are, you'll be fine and. All the many visits through the years in New York. You know, uh, crazy things happen, but, you know, the craziest thing that happened was a fight broke out on a subway car that I was in as a kid. And obviously with a crazy person who just sucker punched another gentleman who was reading the newspaper. And everybody back to the, went to the back side of the car. And I was in the front, but no one would let me in. You know, there's like, a, you're on your own, kids. You know? the, now, we parent now as if the world is more dangerous when in fact, oh. if you look at violent crime oh. statistics, until maybe the last two years when things have ticked up again. But before that, quite a bit safer than it was in my sure. childhood. John Podhortz tells stories about, you know, run-ins in the subway, muggings and things like that. Brent Share, same thing. It, it happens. And in- What we do now is we let our children free range on the internet instead of in the real world. 
And I, I'm that's so, going, oh, that's so much better. I'm yeah. going to let them free range in the real world before they free range on the internet. Good that's that's you. my plan. Good that's for plan. you. How are you um, otherwise? Oh, I'm all right. Your your aunt's life has put my issues into perspective. <laughs> well, same with me. I mean, obviously. It's a... <laughs> but I will complain about them nonetheless. Yes, that's what we do here. Okay. So, as you know, <laughs> as listeners know, I sent my children to camp in my hometown. Which is in the state of North Carolina, but it's a very liberal town. Fine. That's, that's, how, that's, that's how they made me. Actually, the people in Durham are like, whatever happened to that kid? She seemed fairly nice as a child. And I'm like, you turned me into this. But I sent them down there because they go to a day camp during the day, and then my parents take care of them in the evening. So my parents don't have to do the full right. lift. We get a little break. So it's not sleep away. Right. No, yeah. it's just a day camp. The kids get a little adventure. There's a wonderful wonderful children's museum in my hometown it's elaborate it's many acres gigantic a children's museum a children's museum a children's science museum yeah it has a train it has a dinosaur path it has a butterfly house it has all the things all the things and i've been taking the kids forever okay i went to their camps as a child since 1987 i've been i've been there it was go ahead so, <laughs> i'm gonna interrupt i'm just gonna yeah so i send them down there and as i noted the masks showed up on the supply list oh, yeah. two days That's before right. I sent That's them. That's right. And I thought, hmm, what is this about? Now, I rechecked the website. And the website of the facility, which is running the camp, the museum, the advertised policy is in accordance with the North Carolina Department of Health. Masks are optional. I'm like, okay, great. Maybe okay. they're just like, they're going to have whoever wants to mask, mask. So I send them. And it turns out, nope, they got a... Mandatory? Mandatory for the camp, not for anyone else at the facility. So let me just, let me just explain the insanity of this. I could pick my children up today from the camp, mm -hmm. take them to the same facility, to all of the things that the campers are doing, maskless, because that would be safe. But when I pay extra money to put them in the camp, they have extra rules. You know why. This because is. that's yeah. not safe. This is, this is all about CYA, right? This is all liability. It's the only reason. It is not logical. But everyone's afraid of getting sued in some capacity. And somehow they think that they're a part of this particular organized get-together in the facility... That makes them prone to a potential lawsuit if somebody gets sick, even though mostly outdoors. I mean, I, I, kids outdoors. Now, be, so here's so then are, I yeah. then I have a dilemma, right? I'm like, well, what? By the way, the, the way I figured this out is I sent them without masks. <laughs> I was like, go forth, and I said, if they give you didn't me, pack any. No, I was like, go forth. If they ask you about it, because it was still, I was still unsure. Because if you, again, if you look at the website, there's nothing indicating this. You're amazing. I sent them without, and I get a call like 40 minutes later. <laughs> I said, because I told, I told the kids, be polite, but mm -hmm. tell them to call your mom. Yeah. And so someone called me. Oh, come on. Said, I'm with your daughter. <laughs> and she says that she won't wear a mask indoors <laughs> unless I call her mother. <laughs> oh, and I said, good for your daughter. Good job, kiddo. Yeah. And we had a discussion. I said, well, why are they made to mask? Because this seems like the policy is pretty clear on the website. And he's like, oh, it's different for camp. Why is it different for camp? <laughs> I know. Allegedly because they are 
mixing with more family groups than if you were at, I'm like, I'm like, do you think that when I take my children to the children's museum, we don't share these snotty apparatus everywhere with all the other thousand children who are here? I mean, it's, it's yeah, like the rest of the time, the kids are all isolated. They're <laughs> so not seeing anybody. It else. is irrational. It is silly. And at this point, I've committed. My kids are there. It's paid for. And I, so I had a discussion with the camp director and said, don't appreciate the way this was sold. <laughs> and I pointed out to him the multitude of pictures on the website of unmasked children inside and outside on the Instagram, on the camp page, everywhere. Again, like, you're amazing. He says, I could understand how that would be misleading. <laughs> so what, what happened so, at the end of the, well, the, so end of the day? Well, my, I, so they masked to be indoors, right? Because okay. on that day, we couldn't figure out this thing. He said he would offer me a refund if I wanted one. I, partly because I think he wanted to get off the phone with me because I was like lecturing him for 15, 15 to 17 minutes uh, about how you. silly this was. Yes. But I do they think. They have to know. But here's the thing silly. is that if you don't raise some kind of fuss, and my husband was overhearing me and I was like, how how rough was I wasn't rude and he was like you were just like medium mean it's it's fine you were fine <laughs> I had a firm tone I know I appreciate but your if you don't push back. back if you don't push back this stuff never ends and so they have to at least hear about it yes and so I said uh. I said okay let me work it out with my parents talk to my husband and the kids we'll figure out what we're going to do here and he said maybe give maybe put it to the girls now, the thing is, in the end, they weren't inside very much. Okay. And the, the camp director told me that. He was like, they're, they're supposed to be outside as much as possible. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, if that's the deal, then I'm not as... Okay, mask, fine. I'm not, like, no. I still think it's dumb, and I'm going to tell you it's dumb. And I'm going to, like, by yeah. the way, escalate this complaint as, as far as I can. Because, I'm yeah, I'm going to Karen out on this thing. That's what I'm going to do. Because that's what's necessary. When, when you challenge them, do you mostly just pose questions? Or then do you go from le- questions to observations and then full-on tirade? I would not say I ever reached full-on tirade. He might disagree with you. <laughs> but I was I was serious about the fact that, you know, I sent them last year. And I was like, look, we're, we're willing to do the thing. I also said, we're from Northern Virginia. It's yeah. not like we don't observe yeah. protocols. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I don't think I could find a camp here that would mask them Kid- at this point. They're, you know, the kids here in Arlington County, they're still the in school. It's the year of our Lord, 2022. <laughs> yes, that's right. Not 2020. And and there fewer kids now are, are masking in, in, in schools now. From what I hear anecdotally, in schools and yet at this camp, yeah, I'm telling you, it's liability. It's just, anyway. That's what it is. So we're going to, I will, regardless of what we decide with the with the kids, because this is short notice with child care, I will escalate this complaint. And I did the whole, we're charter members of this museum oh, since the yeah. 80s. Oh, you are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's more than anything, it's just disappointing. Uh, oh, I was saying, I yeah. told him, like, look, we, we do the protocols. We're yeah. from Northern Virginia. But I sent them last year. And again, 2021, I was willing to deal with more. Yeah. I was like, you guys had them masking outdoors last year. And surely even you would concede at this point. Oh, that's good. That masking outdoors was ineffective and unscientific at the time. 
I'm sure you read the New York Times and have seen David Leonhardt's reporting on this. Now, perhaps by next summer, even though David Leonhardt has just reported recently that mask Mm -hmm. mandates are not very helpful, we will have come to the realization that this is not a great idea. Anyway, we'll be looking elsewhere for camps in the future. So uh, in the the interim, in the interim, the the girls wear masks indoors. Just indoors. And it's just a little bit. They must find it so annoying. They do. And I assured them, I was assured by them that they are not indoors very much. So that helps me. I just... Mm. (laughs) It's so dumb. I know. I know. It's so dumb. Also, it's a science museum. Yeah. (laughs) I think you just summed up the entire problem. Again... I am I am conscious of the fact that it, that I am in fact I'm I'm deliberately becoming an annoying yeah. person on this issue because I think that annoying people win the day on these issues. You cannot yeah. get the policies to change unless you push. And by the way, the reason they're not going to give an inch is mm. because they know 65% of these kids would not be wearing masks if I get an exception and my kids go without them. Yeah. That's what yeah. would happen. Especially down there. I think. I can't imagine the other parents are, well, okay. But yes, it's uh, victory through a thousand nudges. <laughs> it, it will happen. You have, you're leading the charge. Oh, but I just, again, I promise all of you, even though perhaps we have listeners who are like, don't you care about other people? And I promise you, I promise you, the old Navy scrap of cloth over my kids' faces is not doing the magic yeah. that those who support it think it does it really is not it's really not you could probably buy a lot of those old navy scraps for cheap now you know especially the large sizes that are discounted yes. sorry different subject that was from a different <laughs> you show. Can cut sorry. them out and make sorry. new ones yeah. oh man anyway <laughs> like a dozen kids okay go ahead sorry <laughs> well that's that's where we are uh, again i told uh, the kids are always gracious about it mm. but they're willing to stick up for themselves and that's the pattern that i I attempt to do you the same. You are setting, a, you know, you're setting a great example versus the, well, let's see what everybody else is doing. That's that's how we roll. Sometimes you just got to put your foot down because yeah. the silliness, the silliness will not stop. Right, and if nobody says anything, then right. this is going to continue. Right. So anyway, maybe by next year, it'll be mask-free. Maybe. Sigh. Anyway, let's move on to Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. Joe Biden news. Joe Biden news. He's upset, Vic. He's having a, he's hit a rough patch. Yes. He wants to get out more, seething that his standing is now worse than Trump's. This is from Politico mm-hmm. reporting. President Joe Biden and his aides have grown increasingly frustrated by their inability to turn the tide against a cascade of challenges threatening to overwhelm the administration. Soaring global inflation, rising fuel prices, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a Supreme Court poised to take away a constitutional right, a potentially resurgent pandemic, Congress too deadlocked to tackle sweeping gun safety mm-hmm. legislation, even amid an onslaught of mass shootings. This all amounts to like, Meh, nobody's doing what we want them to do without us being able right. to do the work to make it happen. The White House has found itself in crisis after crisis, either limited or helpless in its efforts to combat the forces pummeling them. Such a, such a friendly framing of this, right? Like, yeah. what, what, pray tell, could the president of the United States do? There right, are right, limits. right, right. He's under assault. He's there, under siege. There are limits upon his power. Suddenly we're very into presidential limits on power. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Those are never observed when there's a Republican in the presidency. Like, That's I'm, right. I agree. There are limits on presidential power. But they're always, the press is always like, why can't you fix this? Why are we doing? Well, uh, two things. One, uh, I thought the president 
does get out a lot. He just goes to the beach house in Delaware. But I guess that's not what they mean by getting out a lot. <laughs> going, if people at the beach go to Rehoboth, you know, go down the boardwalk. That's the first thing. The second, and you know, you know, and you know what they tell you. Know what they tell you the reason is my conspiracy friends will tell you the reason is no White House logs. That's why he's going there. He's not there to vacation oh. in Delaware. He's is he three? Is he forty chessing out he's, there? Yeah, well, I to meet with all that. sorts of interesting people. No White House logs. Okay, so that's one okay, thing. So the second thing is you, when you're talking about, uh, you know, there's only so much a president can do. And this is the thing you keep on. I've been hearing a lot of this again lately, which is there's no magic wand. The magic wand. The magic wand theory. Yes. You know, well, he can't wave a magic wand to make inflation disappear. No, he, because he, we, he we thought somehow there was a button. He goofed up and waved the magic wand with the five trillion and flooding the economy. <laughs> yes, that was a magic wand. The, the magic wand yeah. went a little too far. That's exactly right. And and those who are supposed to know what the magic wand is going to do, like Jessica Yellen, yeah. were like, oh, wait, is that correct? Yeah. Is that her first name or is that an actress? Janet. Janet Yellen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, that, that that's like me. Uh, I, I mentioned. I got it, guys. Yeah. I'm good. I know. I, I introduced uh, an old colleague at the uh, uh, at the Standard years ago, and I, I introduced her. Her name. She's lovely, Priscilla Jensen. And I introduced her as Priscilla Barnes. Oh. And I said, "Who's Priscilla Barnes?" And and Andy Ferguson goes, "I believe she was on the show Three's Company." Oh, there you go. And I said, mm, "Yes, sorry." <laughs> there aren't a lot of Mary Catherine Hams, so I'm safe. No, from this. Kind that of is thing. right. The West Wing believes there is still time for a course correction. Here's the plan. You ready to hear the plan? Oh, I didn't know there was one. Okay. Here's the plan. The plan is to put Biden on the road to highlight progress being made, even incrementally, and in meeting the series of tests with visits this week to California, where he will preside over a summit of Western Hemisphere allies, as well as New Mexico, to push for climate his climate agenda. The administration will also set aside its reluctance to work with, quote, a pariah nation with hopes to spur oil production. Those two seem at odds. Like, I'm going to go to New Mexico to work on the climate agenda, and then I'm going to go beg (laughs) the Saudis for oil. And it plans to sharpen... uh, This is my favorite part. It plans to sharpen its attacks on Republicans, aiming to paint the GOP as out of touch with mainstream America on issues like gun safety and abortion, all while hoping the upcoming January 6th congressional hearings will further color the party as too extremist and dangerous to return to power. I understand. I understand January 6th is a big deal. Mm -hmm. But I get the sense that if you were to take a poll of Americans right now and the top concerns and why they're probably going to go to the polls to vote in a midterm election, that January 6th, along with COVID, is not going to be up there, is my... I'm just telling you, it's my guess. I'm not saying that. I'm just no, I, saying. I'm just I laying it out there that the this is not going is to motivate them. Recognizing that the media will do very hard to no, no. Do recognizing this that political reality, which I do think is a reality and is reflected in numbers, mm-hmm. is read as treating January 6th like it was just another day. Yeah. I do not wish to treat no, January no, 6th sure. like it was just another day, and I think investigating it is important. Do I think primetime hearings on the January 6th mm-hmm. stuff will be the bombshell and the game changer that some think it will be? I, d- I do not think that because I think there are other things that are more front of mind to right. many, many Americans, even if they think this thing was reprehensible, which they right. should. I like the idea that they haven't sharpened attacks on Republicans yet. Like that's always. Joe always- Biden, you know, again, we've talked about this before, you know, the, the, the idea in their minds that Joe Biden is such a folksy, nice, get along, go along, oh, reach across totally. the aisle kind of. He's never said anything bad about it. Yeah, he just that. called everybody Bull Connor. Like Bull Connor, four yeah, ago. yeah. And in 2012 that he's going to put y'all in chains. Y'all in chains. And he was referring to Mitt Romney. So, oh. No, he's, he's never, he's, he's such a nice guy. I don't understand. Super nice. Uh, 
the other thing is this. The problems that they need to tackle one at a time. I get the sense that their strategy was always who to blame for the problem, because they can't change anything about, for example, oil, the rise, you know, the the, uh, the rise in gas prices. I think part of his contingent likes the idea of high gas prices in order to curb certain kinds of environmentally yes. I mean, damaging behavior. It's not even a secret. It's not a conspiracy right. theory. People have been saying for years that the way to encourage People switching to other kinds of energy, which is what they want, is for gas prices to be really high. Pain at the pump. Now they're also no pain, no gain. Right. They're also experiencing the political pain of that, which is why this sort of bifurcated effort to be like, we got to do this for the climate, and also the Saudis. Can you just give us more oil? Because we definitely need more oil to bring down the prices so that we don't get creamed in November. It's not going to help. That's right, and and sort of like the. uh, the, the, the fuel reserves, right, the petroleum fuel yeah. reserve, that they're going to uh, release these barrels, which doesn't really make that much of a dent, and you're not refilling those reserves. And again, you're going out, as you mentioned, to Mexico. He's going to New Mexico to talk about the importance of climate while urging other countries to pump more oil and yes. we can have lower gas prices because you're not harming the climate if it's not in your country. I think that's how it works. <laughs> that is how it works. Yeah. I don't deny that a lot of these problems are very real and big. And it's not like I I never thought that Biden was going to be able to heal our society immediately upon taking office. Right. However, some of these are truly of his own making. Yeah. Including the oil prices. Yeah. And exacerbated by his policies and the inflation. Yes. Which, I mean, everybody at this point admits like, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> we We let that one get away from us. So it's hard to. Even though with any president, I think they get more more blame and credit right. than they deserve in general for the economy and all sorts of things. However, when you've exacerbated the problems that were on your plate, it's hard to listen to the excuses. <laughs> and I don't think that it's that convincing right. uh, as we move into November. Do you think somebody suggested that it's time we sort of accept kind of the blame and they tested it out uh this past week where they started to admit about inflation we didn't see that coming i think that's part of that actually is a smart move because Mm -hmm. it's it's sort of all you can do i feel like they're testing the waters on the blame because i think the thing where biden says baby everything's good oh yeah is not going to work people just don't believe that i also think again to this to the point of where blame lies and what he could get credit for. I think even even putting inflation aside, had Biden sort of run with the post-pandemic ball mm-hmm. in July of 2021 and not pulled back, right? It was mm-hmm. like a more measured tone about, right. look, we have tools for this. We don't have to use the shutdowns and limit people's liberties in the way that we were doing before because we have these amazing medical tools to battle this. And, you know, they don't have to talk about them as if they don't lead, Mm -hmm. as if they solve spread because the Mm -hmm. vaccines actually don't do that. And now we know that. But, like, a measured tone, go forth and live your lives. Mm -hmm. This is how we're going to do it. Instead of just yanking all of it back when Delta hit, I think he'd be in a pretty okay place right now. That's right. And you also heard in that political story, they talk about a lot, you know, when things get bad and people start jumping ship, then you've got the infighting gets a lot worse. And you're hearing all these, this grumbling, according to the piece from the First Lady's office. Yes. 
getting involved with what's going on with the president's advisors. And all I can think of is Don Regan, Nancy Reagan, and how awful that was. And somebody doesn't make it out alive. And obviously, people are yeah. talking about Ron Klain going to be leaving yeah. you know, af- af- following the midterm disaster. We're still disaster, so, so early in this thing, man. I, yeah. Yes. Yes, we are. We're yes, we early. Are. So it's not, it's not pretty. No. So I, I, I don't think that this is going to be a game changer strategy for Biden. I think there's little you can do to change the game at this point. I know that they think every external event is going to suddenly like drum up their base and everything will change. And I, I just don't think that that's the case. There's in, one thing he could in do. this situation. There's one thing he can do that'll improve the economy is if he cancels all student loan debt. <laughs> yes. That'll By the do. way, canceling student loan debt is the new infrastructure week. Yeah. <laughs> it's like every three weeks, it's like it's going to happen this yeah. week. Yeah. It's going to happen this you week, know, guys. Lots of speculation. Woo. Yeah. Speaking of infighting. Oh boy. Remember I was saying how annoying people win the day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> annoying yeah. people, and I'm trying to emulate them in my life because that behavior is rewarded. <laughs> Over at the Washington Post. Wow. Wow. There's a, real, there's a real HR incident playing out in public on Twitter. I'm uh, shaking my head because I, I, I still can't believe this is happening there. Okay. I mean, it's such an S show. I'll say it's an S yes. show. So let me, let me offer the two, the two, two events happened on the same day. Let me explain them to you briefly. Dave Weigel, a national political reporter yeah. for the Washington Post, someone I, someone I know personally, yeah. is a very energetic reporter, yeah. a guy who knows in the 235 House races which ones are going to be interesting and which ones are competitive and which ones you should pay attention to. So a valuable reporter over there. Dave Weigel retweets a joke from some YouTuber. Mm-hmm. The joke is this. Try not to laugh, Vic. <laughs> The joke is this. All women are bi. You just have to figure out if it's polar or sexual. Come on. I mean. That's, that's a good stuff. You know, it's, and, and, and it's, it's, go ahead. Look, did I, did I, I find it? I defer to you. Did I find it a mildly chuckle worthy thing? I did. I did. You mm-hmm. know what? And I don't, I don't hate women. I don't hate women. <laughs> I, you know, so, our, by the way, our, our guest producer this week, Colin Chocola is here and he's grinning. Everybody's he's grinning. Yeah. No, you guys are both politely declining comment. <laughs> At any rate, it's a goof. It's yeah. a joke. He retweeted it. Now, when you work at the Washington Post, I guess some people will take issue with the jokes that you retweet. By the way, this isn't a joke he crafted, right? No, I, no, no, and no, I, no, no, I, no. I do think there's a difference. Like, likes, there's a ranking. Your tweet, a retweet, and a like. liking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, yeah. so this there's is also, in the middle. There's also, there's also your tweet commenting. Yes. And then, but... I will. I agree that there is a distinction. In fact, I am uh, reaching out to the YouTuber because I was hoping he could write some of my material ah, for the sub beacon. Ah, there you yeah, go. Sorry. So, so he retweets this. A colleague of his complains publicly, screenshots the retweet. His, her name is Felicia Sanmez, another national political reporter. They have worked together in bylines before. For, she formerly pub- of the Wall Street Journal and AFP. Yes, I mean, and she publicly scolds him saying great to work at an organization where this kind of retweet is acceptable or something something along those lines okay so that's one incident the other incident that happens the same day is our frequent guest star of the podcast taylor lorenz Mm -hmm. technology reporter trend reporter Mm -hmm. she wrote a piece after the depp heard trial which i would argue that trend started like maybe a little early and she should have noticed it before the trial was over about alternative news sources covering the Depp Heard trial and getting tons of traffic. So she does this piece, Taylor Lorenz does, with a real clear narrative, which was independent 
producers of this media are, are icky and bad and biased and we are the good ones and why are people paying attention to them? In that piece, she talks about two different YouTubers and there's a throwaway like boilerplate normal journalistic thing that says that they were they attempted to reach them for comment but they did not comment. Something along those lines. Normal thing that you put in a in a news story because you're trying to contact people when you're writing about them especially for a national newspaper. The YouTubers who are also on Twitter both say she didn't contact us. Yeah, that's right. She didn't contact us. What what the heck? The Washington Post is now 3 4 corrections, corrections deep. On the Taylor Lorenz story, and Taylor Lorenz is publicly, again, all of this is happening on Twitter, is publicly saying, yeah, I I contacted them, my editor got that wrong, and I contacted them after the story via Instagram to say, hey, do you have anything to add to this? Thereby disproving what was in her original story. It's, It's quite something. There's the, you know, unspoken code of conduct among writers and editors that you stick up for each other. And uh, editors defend your writers unless they do something that's not defensible and, and, and vice versa. And that's your, that should be your first instinct is to stick together and not air it out and not air it out on social media. Yes. And if you, if you goofed it up, you say I goofed it up, right? Like, yeah. uh, this is the thing. This is a very basic thing. Even if you're going to do the jerk move where you drop them a line at some obscure address an hour before your deadline and say, oh, I'd really like to get a comment from you. At least you've done the thing, yeah. right? You've checked the box. If you didn't check the box, you can't put that in the story. Don't and apparently the box was not checked. And don't forget also another writer at the Post, Jose Del Real, got drawn into this mess Oh, as yes. Well. No, well, here's my first question. Ah, yes. Which of these two offenses do you think warranted a public comment and and punishment for the person guilty for Dave Weigel's retweet or this very obvious journalistic sin yeah, I th- of Taylor Lawrence. Which, yeah. which one was punished? No. Oh, it was I don't, Dave. At the end of the Dave. day, right, who is now what? He's suspended for a month. Suspended without pay. pay. Doctor's he, pay for a month. He publicly apologized. Very, by the way, I don't think it was super necessary, but short and sweet, took responsibility, said he didn't mean to hurt anybody, did it publicly. Then like two days later is suspended without pay. Yeah. And by the way, I would like to have Dave Weigel reporting during primary season, please. But we're not going to do that. Yeah. Because his colleague was like, instead of emailing him and saying, bro, I don't love your retweet, we had to do this. No, and let's try to get you at the very least suspended, but yes. maybe fired. And why just there are others. And by the way, it's an old boys club. Really? The Washington Post now? Today? So, really? Meanwhile, nothing for Lorenz. Oh, no. No, no admonishments publicly, no apologies publicly. She just she can do no wrong. She threw her editor under yeah. the under the bus. You know what? Fear because it's fear. They're afraid to do something with her. Well, so here's the thing: enormous online power. Somebody, and this is why the, the, these soap operas matter. Is these I was are, about to ask you. These are our why in, does this matter? well. These are our cultural elites, right? Uh, these are the people who oh, lead okay. the conversation. Thank you. thank you for depressing me. And not one person over there can be the grown up who says y'all need to rein it in let's talk about this in the office but they don't like i think half of them don't go to the office so that's part of it <laughs> perhaps collegiality right. no, has somebody, gone by the way somebody else pointed this out yeah. everyone's you know how do they know each other does felicia sumnes how often does she see uh, dave weigel do they see the, each other in in the building no i don't think so i'm gonna say no 
And a lot of this could have been avoided if they just either weren't so engaged in social media or did not care right. what you retweeted or what you liked. It's it's isn't it a general understanding? Retweets and and, and likes are not an Re- endorsement. Retweets are not endorsements. That's what oh, yeah. he or should have had that the, in his bio. Or certainly from the post. And maybe that was it. Maybe that's the that was the, the liability. <laughs> but issue. we are now on day three or four of Sanmez continuing to go after both Weigel and any other employee yeah. who addresses her about this, one of whom is, as you noted, is it Jose, Jose Real, De, Del, De Real, Real. Yeah. Del Real, who said, I, I think quite quite reasonably and calmly said, hey, like maybe let's, people make mistakes. Maybe let's not do this in public. Compassion, um, he says. And he noted that in the past, she has a, she has a pattern of publicly going after people. And she's like, she screenshots screen all of this and says, says, the vitriol to which I am subjected thanks to sticking up for myself in a sexist work environment. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, there's no, there's, there's no governor for like how much someone should be punished for a very small transgression. This is how Twitter yeah. works. I'd like to think that in the grand scheme of things, this doesn't matter to what's happening in our country because, you know, when I go out, you know, up in Jersey for my friend's 50th birthday party, for yeah, they're, example. They're not talking about Taylor and They're Felicia. not talking about Felicia Somnes versus, I'd like to think that, I mean, you know, and, and, you know, talking to friends, one's a cop, you know, and another is, works for the housing authority in New York, you know, and they're doing real things. They're building things or keeping it safe or whatever it is and their mechanics and this and that, that there are, you know, and yet, and yet, here we are discussing it, and it's it's so ridiculous. These these people, I just can't they just do their jobs? <laughs> well, like, I don't understand. Somebody, somebody said, can people with cushy office jobs just like enjoy their cushy yes. office jobs and stop with this? Absolutely. Uh, it reminded me the treatment, particularly of Dave's retweet versus Taylor's. What I think huh. is are really obvious journalistic sins, and it, they're compounded by the fact that she didn't she won't take responsibility for them. It's not. We messed this up and we should have contacted these people. It is my editor did this and any criticism of me is dangerous and threatening and ginned up by right wing crazies, which is just this is not how you have an adult discussion. It reminded me it's the result of coddling. Yes. Again, nobody can just stand up and be a leader. It reminded me of this tweet, which I I stumbled across recently. The the author is David Polanski, who I don't know much Mm -hmm. about, but he captured something. He said, I don't wish to sound apocalyptic about this, but one has the sense that at present, our society is simultaneously characterized by wildly disproportionate accountability for trivial transgressions and zero accountability for profound institutional failure. Oh. Yes. Yes. Where is he from? What does he do? I don't know who this man is, but he's wise. That's a deep take. In that moment, he was wise. Yeah. So that, to me, that's the reflection of this incident and sort of what it means for society. Right. And if we don't course correct, it's bad news. Yes. It's, it's again, as he points out, it's failure of institutions goes uh, unpunished. And it's the little things that we have to then self-flagellate for. Well, and by the way, because, because Weigel was reprimanded and punished, mm-hmm. this behavior has been rewarded. And you yeah. will see more of it. That's how this works. It, it, you mean it's going to encourage more yes. somnezes? Well, she's she's still off on Del Royale to this moment. It, it, it continues, yeah. <laughs> like maybe just like what whatever happened to the like, hey bro, 
I didn't love that retweet. Well, I'm sure that the, you know, the olds at yeah. the Washington Post, those in management position, are trying to just figure out what do we do because they didn't have to deal with this 20 well, years ago. And I think somebody made a point, too, that perhaps the, the Slack culture Slack has something yeah. to do with sure. this because you, you see a lot of this stuff, the, a lot of the ideological conformity really enforced on Slack channels in these office spaces. Of course, they're not often in their office spaces. Right. Barry Weiss is a great example. When she resigned, oh, she sure. pointed out the, the, the Slack the Slack wars yeah. were, were something else. And this, this originated on Slack as well and then gets apparently not dealt with internally in the way that makes people satisfied and then they take it to Twitter. I, still, I find it remarkable that they're so willing to call out colleagues in public and not handle this privately, having spent 20 years at the week, 20 plus years at the Weekly Standard, and then more than five going on six years yeah. at the Free Beacon, where not everybody agrees on everything, but you have disagreements and you discuss them like normal adults would, and not well. And and I would post say, these things. I think there's a there's a place. Of. It's unheard of. There's a place for publicly objecting to something, right? I, I do by one of your colleagues. Yeah. I mean, I. I work with Jeffrey Tubin. Like I had something sure. to say about right. some of his transgressions, uh, yeah, yeah, right? And I think that's okay. Do I think the the one you should really plant your flag on is the retweet? <laughs> I'm not sure that's it. I'm not sure that you wage wage your multi-day war well, over I'm sure, I'm sure the way she thinks about it is if you don't if you don't stop him at the retweet. Yeah. You know. I mean, <laughs> yes. Again, like if people if people objected to Lorenz's lying in print, that, to me, would be a thing that I'd be like, okay, well, that's kind of worth mentioning because yeah. you don't want to be associated with that. But the, ret- the retweet is the one that we're going to the mats over. By the way, you had a, uh, a follower of yours uh, and maybe listener of ours on Twitter ask you, do we really need to spend this much time talking about it? So apologies to that listener. You know what? Like, I, I get it. I get it. I was, ex- I was briefing my husband on this, and he's like, uh, like he's, his thought was, do these folks not have an HR department? And I was like, look, I think the whole place is an HR department. That's the problem. Yeah. They've all been deputized. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> They're doing their own self-policing. Have some conversations. Anyway. What else? What, whatever behavior right. you yeah. reward, you will get more of. That's right. All right. On a happier note, let's go to Shanghai. That, that's something uplifting. <laughs> uplifting. No, but I, I, it is slightly uplifting because the lockdown has yes. eased somewhat. And I just... When we talk about things a couple of times, like the Shanghai lockdown, which started in April, I believe, that's a city of 25 million in China that, you know, due to a ha- basically a handful of COVID cases that were documented. Now, you never know with China how many there actually are. But say. they were shut down in their apartments for months on end, unable to get food in some cases, yep. really a very bad dystopian police state mm-hmm. scene in Shanghai. It has since eased. I just don't want to like lose track of this story yes. and never update you. It has since eased. They have let folks out of, at first, a couple of different neighborhoods were let go. And understandably, those people ran to the train station I saw and the were video. like, let me get out of this town yeah. before they decide to lock me back up. And sure enough, what'd they do? They started locking people back down again. So it's not, a, it's not all great news, but things have improved slightly. I feel like any time they give us any numbers of COVID cases, deaths, hospitalizations, they all need to be multiplied by some factor because we'll look at the numbers. Say, oh, they say that a lot of these people, you know, have, have died from COVID. 
And then, you know, they'll go through stats where the number's extremely low. And I'm yes. like, really? Is it really like zero? Are they, have they fully achieved zero COVID? Poly? You know, they'll claim. They'll claim that these, you know, yeah. they're, they're going, well, they're they're going for the gold. They're chasing yeah. it, which, like, on one hand, you can't achieve zero COVID. And on the, and on the other, mm-hmm. that, like, it allows you to have a police state, which is kind of what the state is interested in doing. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, this is less than a, this is the independent reporting. Less than a week after Shanghai lifted its two-month-long COVID lockdown, concerns have grown about another impending outbreak as the city recorded new cases. Shanghai Health Commission said on Tuesday that three locally transmitted cases and seven local asymptomatic really? case infections have been reported. On Monday, three imported cases and six imported asymptomatic infections were recorded. Uh, all the new cases have been transferred to a designated hospital for observation. They're going to be under quarantine, and they're thinking about. Just locking everyone down Quarantine again. for the asymptomatic is, is again, those those numbers are so low. It's like coming out of a school here. You know, <laughs> this yes. is they're, they're, they're claiming that it's for the city. What, what, what I found a little uh, particularly depressing, though, is, you know, you're kind of hoping for I was kind of hoping for this sort of uprising where the I people know. say enough is enough with this authoritarian regime. I mean, obviously, we're speaking on the, you know, just after the, you know, I mean, the anniversary of yeah, Tiananmen, the anniversary of Tiananmen, Tiananmen yeah. Square. Uh, and and we thought that this that was going to be their moment, and and then of course it wasn't, and they're constantly getting their 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 spirits crushed or or physically right. And, and there there you know, is some you know yelling at officials. There's a, the people going there's crazy. A, a chant of serve the people, and yeah. people say I'm very indignant. It's been two months and we can't cope anymore. We're all negative. Why lock us in a cage? Uh, but. You know, when when a government learns that it uh, can and that's a very powerful government can successfully lock down 25 million people, mm-hmm. man, that takes a lot of effort. But it also shows that they are probably succeeding in, in this sort of enforced docility in yeah. the population. So if you think about countries like North Korea, you know, all these people who have been subjected to this kind of oppression, and it's right. just it's just a lifetime. It's of just that a lifetime, and and, and, and and you know, I mean. <laughs> history of China is sort of filled with misery, right? I mean, from the time of the, you know, the war to the civil war to uh, glory, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the cultural revolution, the great leap forward, Tiananmen. I mean, it's just a series well, and it's, it's, of terrible As things. illustrated by Tiananmen, very yeah. clearly, it's a lot to ask people to stand up to dictators and authoritarians. I mean, it is, it is so very risky. It's life itself. Even though when you're living in lockdown Shanghai, that's also life itself yeah, that you right. have lost, that's right? right? And this is Shanghai, which is a huge hub for business. I mean, and, you know, and people have left. People are leaving there. Uh, uh, so that's particularly depressing. And the thing that lingers with me is that story from a few months ago, the drone broadcasting the Ooh, message. Do you remember I that? Know, yes. you, what suppressed the, your soul's urge? Yes, your soul's urge to what? To is, for freedom? For freedom, or to, yeah, I think, to, something uh, like that. This is, it's, sick. And it's, it's very 1984. Yeah. It's uh, which I can say because I read the I read the book. I know I'm so proud of you. I'm almost done, by the way, with To Kill a Mockingbird. Look oh, at you! Oh man, what a twist and turn man, in that book. You're going to be a seventh grader in no time. I can't believe I, can, I just I'm out. He's <laughs> growing next so up, fast. Next up is Catcher in the Rye. No, I read that. I read. Come on, I'm not that illiterate. He's like he's going to be so angsty reading <laughs> Catcher in the Rye this summer. He's going to Kate's going to be gonna, like, I'm my gonna God. Search, I'm going to go to JD Sound just home, like look for. Tell him. me more about the phonies, Vic. <laughs> I'm going to go back to read that. Okay, go ahead. All right. I uh, lost track of what yes. I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Yes, yes. Speaking of freedom. Yes. Just another. I just always want to note our, com- our comedians yes, in favor of free speech. I enjoy these guys because they they understand that it is their livelihood under under uh, 
that's in danger when people get too policey about the language. Yeah. Uh, so Stephen Merchant, who's this very tall, quirky British man who you would Extremely know. Extremely tall. He's a character actor who you would know. I, I believe he was in Jojo Rabbit most recently. From, yes, of course. In, in my memory. But there's a lot of series with Ricky Gervais. He's he was in the uh, British office. That's right. He was a co, uh, co-creator so, of the office. Uh, so... This is from The Independent. Life is short. Ricky Gervais is braver than I am. He's quite happy to give the finger to the world. So he's he's praising uh, yeah. Ricky Gervais, and he goes on to say, he says, this obsession with trying to police what people say, you know, it's funny because when I was growing up, Mary Whitehouse was the version of that, the uber-religious person trying to get TV shows banned and newspaper articles retracted, and she was very much seen as a right-wing figure. Now it feels like it's a lot more coming from the left, and, that's uh-huh. a, and that suddenly the champions of free speech are right-wing nutters. How did that come about? I don't want to side with those people. <laughs> Yeah, you you got us, Stephen. You're well as you're stuck it was, with me, Stephen. I, you know, I'll be corrected for this. It was either Midge Decker or or, B, uh, or Gertrude Himmelfarb who said, you know, your ultimate you ultimately end up on the side you're on. Yeah, you know, just look around you. And uh, uh, but again, it goes back to this thing that we've been saying with these insane people on the left. We will determine what's funny, yes. and not. And so I'm sure it drives them crazy. It's it's great that Ricky Gervais is making all these jokes. I'm sure if I haven't seen his performance, I'm sure if I did, I'd find some stuff really hilarious and I'd probably find some stuff offensive, yes. right? He, he's very open about his atheism and things like that, whatever. But that's the whole point. You mean you mean this performer does not perfectly align with yeah. my worldview therefore, in every way? Therefore, cannot. You know, well, not, and he must not perform. But it's that's the only silly. difference. The but, only difference is we don't say he must not perform that. Yeah. You deprive yourself of so many fun moments you when, totally you, do. when you live that way. Now, um, it, it, I've it, seen, I, yeah. I think I've, I might have said it on the show before, but I've seen Chris Rock live before. Sure. And it was really fun. But there were plenty of moments oh. that, that crossed crossed my ideological lines. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. It, they were actually funny. Yeah. So that I don't care at all. And I, the, the good stuff really sticks with you, by the way. And the other thing is, you know, it, it, it is all well and good that Ricky Gervais uh, is able to get up there and do this. Uh, he's not going to get canceled. You know, he's very successful. But if you think about the struggling stand-up comedian, right? You know, back in the day, you tell a bad joke, you get booed, you get heckled. Now you're going to get attacked. Yeah. So the incentive, the incentive so. is to keep it between the the left's sort of mm-hmm. navigational beacons. Yeah. And that is a very small space to work in. Yeah. You're not going to get a lot of subver- subversion in there. Yeah. And that's why you know Joe Rogan and Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais will be f- surprised to find that it's the nutters like me yeah. uh, who stick up for them because I appreciate that mm-hmm. kind of thing. That's right. And, and, and soon they'll be... Keep it uh, up, guys. Soon they'll be getting uh, bleach. That's will, the next step is to bleach. <laughs> I will not get mad at you for retweeting jokes, guys. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We need more celebs and comedians to uh, defend free speech. Yeah. So keep it coming. Okay. That wraps up another edition of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you can follow me on Twitter at Victorina Mattis. I'm MK Hammer on Twitter and Substack, MK Hammer Time on Instagram. You can follow me on my journey to become a more annoying person as I as I take my complaints up the chain of command for camp. Wish us luck. I'm sure the girls will have a good time either way. Thanks for being with us. This is the Nebulous Media Podcast.